Well, I, I can only say this in what I do. I love what I do. Um, I, I love the pastor, the things that had God has. I cannot do what I do without you. And I don't mean just coming to church. I mean to, to lift me up in prayer, be praying for us as a family. And uh, as we meet together, I absolutely love it. I love it when we left this open now. This is, a part, this is the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, dance floor church. That would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? Uh, but this is an area that we left open in case those people that want to come forward, you know, during music, you want a little bit more room. And, and sometimes this is where you can come. And if you want prayer, this is a place you can come. And so we want a place that you can gather because gathering together is a good thing. How many people know that when you gather together, it's a great thing? So uh, as we have men's meetings and women's meetings, all the other things that we have going on, come to those things and, and gather together. There's power in fellowship, is there not? Anybody, can anybody vouch for that? It's an incredible thing. Fellowship is mandatory. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake meeting together. Why? Encouragement. It's encouragement. It's the word. We need encouragement. So gather together. Don't try to do Jesus on your own. It wasn't intended that way. You look in your Bible, you're not going to find alone, okay? There's alone time in your closet with Jesus in prayer, but he wants you to be with other believers together because we're powers in numbers. We help each other, don't we? I want you guys to listen to this video. When it's someone that you've loved, the lens with which you look at the story is completely different because it's not a story, it's your life. That was a gorgeous day. It was one of those Indian summer kind of days when you're still holding on to the beauty that's around you. We were hearing all the noises of harvesting happening in the fields, but still in the midst of that, it was warm and beautiful. We walked down to the bus stop with the kids, and he kissed them and said that he loved them. I didn't understand the scope of what was going on until the police came to my door. They said that, Charlie walked into the schoolhouse, that he held the girls hostage. You know, he shot them, and that five of them died before he shot himself. You know, to know that the man that walked down to the bus that morning and kissed his own kids and said that he loved them was capable of hurting someone else's children was unfathomable, yet... There was no way to say that it couldn't happen because it just had. You know, my son that was five, he was outside playing in the backyard. The windows were open, the breeze was blowing in, the sounds of their laughter and playfulness in the backyard, and I just soaked in that moment thinking, is this going to be the last time I ever hear this? In a matter of minutes, I'm going to have to shatter their world and tell them something no parent would ever want to have to say. 
And am I ever going to hear them laugh again? And so I drew them in. We just sat there together um, in the silence of that moment, almost as if we were quiet enough the world would change. But it didn't. I had never known a place of desperation like that. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. There weren't any real answers. I mean, I was being looked on by the world to give some kind of answer, but for me, there was no one to go back to except for the Lord. In those very first moments, I had stood in my living room and kind of looked up at my ceiling fan as if I was looking up at the Lord. I had a choice. I could either choose to believe that God was everything He's ever told me that He was, everything I'd ever read in the Word or been taught in Sunday school or heard someone else say, Or I could choose to believe that all of that wasn't true because if it was, then none of this would have happened. And while I was faced with the reality of those two completely different alternatives, I knew that I had nothing to lose by throwing myself upon the Lord and clinging to Him. And so as I stood there, I just put my arms out and felt very much like Mary saying, let it be done to me according to your will, God. Whatever you can do that's beautiful out of this situation and whatever place you can bring redemption and whatever way you can make victory... God, do it. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are, God's in the midst of them, and He can take the most broken, uh, destroyed situation and bring beauty and life out of it. Can you imagine waking up one day, going to an Amish school, asking some of the Amish inside the school, the boys and some of the parents, some of the ladies with children, little babies, and asking them to leave, and then keeping, I think it was close to 11 or 12 young girls in the room, and then deciding to shoot them. And then taken his own life he called his wife before when he was in the school room it was just a single school room he called his wife and started to unravel some of the things that were going on in his life and he held on to a grudge an offense for 20 years had no fellowship with believers the only way he could get through that we all know is confession talking to somebody Spent opening up the word of God and allowing the ministry of Jesus to come into a heart. See, if a man or woman will hold on to a fence, they'll get to a place where they eventually will wrath, use wrath. And I believe that this is what happened in this case here. Um, no one really knows for sure what he was going through because he wouldn't let anybody in. Until it was too late. We talk about the fence for the last two weeks. We talked about what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to to get rid of all offense. Why? So that you can walk in freedom. 
You are not freed if you are shackled by any offense in your life right now. If there's anybody that in your life that you have an offense to or you have not forgiven, you have got to stop today and do exactly what God has called you to do. Make it right now. You've got to get that out. It's not for them. They may never even acknowledge you. They might not even know what you're even talking about. It's not for them. It's for you. You must be freed. You must be able to forgive those around you at all times. And if you are going to be one that holds back and not confess, then you will be trapped in the same thing as this young man did. Or anything else. Who knows what a person of wicked heart is capable of doing. It says here, along with the story, it's amazing. This is the, the woman that you just heard. It's the wife of the murderer. Here's what she said. It was amazing that, that this is only a few hours after it happened. It says it was amazing. It was one of those moments during the week where my breath was taken away, but not because of evil, because of love. These women gathered after this happened the very day, only hours afterwards, and walked to her house to make sure that she and her children were okay. I want you to know, you live in a life of love, live in a life of selfishness. See, love forgives, but hatred holds a grudge. The Bible says very clearly that if we hate our brother, we say we love God, we are liars. And the love of God is not in us. It's clear as the bell. We cannot hate anyone. And holding a grudge is hatred. And so we must get rid of all offense, right? All offenses. You have one today, get rid of it today. Be free today. Get it right with the person today. Do not wait. If that doesn't pierce your heart, God's word says to forgive as he has forgiven us. That's the commandment. We cannot be forgiven by the Father if we're not willing to forgive our brothers and sisters, right? The story goes on, and this C.S. Lewis, I love what he wrote here. He says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every square inch, everything we go. The battle here is not with flesh and blood, it's against what? Darkness, principalities, rulers, and those heavenly realms. So we have got to be prepared to fight. I want to go into a series today that I feel the Lord is bringing me to. I'm going to call it Prepared. And I believe that, Lord, I, I read a book. How many people read Philemon in the Bible? It's not a popular one, is it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we all know where those are, right? And Philemon is not one of those who are saying, hey, just read Philemon today. People are like, what are you talking about? Some people don't even know it's a book in the Bible. Why? Very short. One chapter. Short book. But I'm telling you, in all my years of studying God's word, this came so alive with me over this week. It's been incredible. One book, one small little read. You can do it in five minutes. I've read too fast. How about you? I hope today in Jesus' name that we can look at this book and have it come alive in us. Every, every word, every letter in the Bible says it's for a reason. The Old Testament, some people, the Old Testament is of the old day and Jesus came and now there's grace. And so, no, the Old Testament is for instruction. Every word of God is word of life, is it not? And so even in this book, we're going to find some life. And I pray I'm not going to go too fast today. I don't know how long this is going to be that we're going to be in this spot. But I thank God for it. He spoke very clearly to me. Let's go into 
a commentary here. It's Christianity does not do away with our duties to others, but directs to the right doing of them. Christianity, listen to me, those who are Jesus followers, does not do away our duties to others, it, but it directs to do the right thing or to the right doing of them, okay? Let's just keep that in mind. Philemon. There it is right there. That's how you spell it. It's in the Bible. Anybody know where it is? If you go come through the too quickly, you missed the book. It's very short. How big is it? One page? Anybody got their Bible out? Half a page. That's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it very carefully and very slowly. Philemon 1, 6, and 7. Read the whole Bible. It's just incredible. The whole story, I should say. It says this. This is Paul speaking to one of his beloved. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become what? Effective. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, Philemon, my brother. How does that rock your world? Things I get from this, I just do very quickly, very slowly. Let's look at this. Fellowship and effective. Effective fellowship through the knowledge of every good thing that is in you and me for Christ's sake. So my question to you today is this. How are these good things established in you and me? Because without the good things of Christ's sake in us, there is no good fellowship. There is no effective fellowship. You can hang out. You can say all those things. Hey, how's that ball game? You can smack each other. Show love. You're not effective in fellowship. See, there is an effective fellowship that the Bible speaks about. And it's only done if Christ, those good things that God has established in you and me. It only can happen when those things are in us for Christ's sake. And so I thought, wow, that's an interesting passage, isn't it? I've hung out with a lot of people before. And I've had a good time. How many people have ever met someone before? You've had a good time together, but then you part ways. There just wasn't a good fellowship. There wasn't something that holds tight. I believe today if we have good fellowship, if we have those kinds of times together, we will become more of God's people, what we're supposed to do. I believe there's nothing we'll face that will be more than what we can handle. I believe we do things together, not alone. How about you? Are you want to do Christianity alone or you want to do it with folks? And when we do it the right way, in the right kind of fellowship the Bible speaks about, effective fellowship, I believe that we're going to move forward. No gate in hell will prevail against the armor of God. You see, one thing that Satan wants to do is confuse us. He wants us to believe that our doctrine is what separates us. And that's a lie from Satan. Christ crucified and raised again. How many people are on that thing? I want to follow Jesus, Christ crucified and raised again. Let's go on. Philemon 1.11. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now he is very useful to you and to me. 
So here it is. And it's funny because the name Onesimus actually means what? Useful. It says, now he makes it very clear. We're talking about this man. See, Paul had a relationship with Philemon. As a matter of fact, Philemon and Paul were very good close friends because Paul was a spiritual father to him, actually introduced Jesus to him. Anybody have thanks to the people that have introduced Jesus to you? Do you respect him at a different level? Can you ever hold an offense towards someone who's shown you the love of Christ? Have you? Can you? See, offense cannot rise up against someone who's shown you spiritual things. It should never. See, that's the work of the enemy. If you have something against someone who has spiritually helped you and enlightened you with God's word, you should never have an offense towards them. doesn't matter what they do. Because what? We forgive. We're set free. We walk in the spirit of God, don't we? Are you today shackled by offense towards someone in the brotherhood? That's a serious offense. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you. As a matter of fact, Onesimus might have actually offended you. He might not even be the believer or the person you want him to be. But now, he's very useful to me and to you. Let's go on. I thought this was, this was wonderful. This is going to be a little longer passage to see if we don't go too fast here. It says, I am sending Onesimus, that is, my own heart. Stop right there. Can you imagine fellowship today with one another? That we would break bread and we would share the gospel of Jesus with one another. We would help each other. We'd pray for each other. We'd lift each other up. One person hurt, I hurt. I get because I get before my Lord for someone in need because I love them. I mean, real effective fellowship. It says here, when that happens, that kind of fellowship happens, it says, thou, your heart becomes my heart. And I love what he says, I'm sending Anisimus, that is, my own what? Heart. When you hang out with somebody and you've got that union together and it's Jesus being shared, your hearts become one. You, you become together. You become unified. And the devil hates that. Hates it. And it says, so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Paul wants him to stay. Onesimus was a wonderful man of God now. Wasn't very useful before, but now he's full of use. He's used for me and he's used for you. I want him to stay with me. But I know his calling is to you. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. In order that your good deed might be voluntarily, voluntary, and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he has separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back, what? Forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now, or how much more to you, a man, flesh, and as a brother in the Lord. Now, I know that's a lot to read. Let me just break it up here. First of all, Paul is talking to a man. He sends a letter to a man that he had spiritually helped. You got that part, right? Spiritually helped him. They have a relationship of friendship and a fellowship together that Paul does not really want to do anything 
outside of asking his consent, but you're going to find later that he has full reason to, by God's word, to exactly demand things. He doesn't. He wants to make sure the fellowship is good, that you and I agree upon this thing, because here's a man's heart at risk here. I believe he should stay and help me, but he is at a place where he's going to be more help to you. He's going to come back to you. See, Onesimus was once with him, Philemon. He wasn't much use to him back then. Anybody ever been in your life before that wasn't much use? You find offense toward that, I'm sure. Anybody ever had those relationships with people? It wasn't very good. You try to get through it, but it's just not working. We just bat heads, you know, it's just not going to work here. And a matter of fact, you walk away and think, well, I'm kind of glad that relationship is over. See, I don't know why Onesimus was with Paul in jail. It doesn't really say for sure. I'm sure maybe it had been some actions he made. It somehow he got in the midst of Paul, and Paul was able to pour into a young man and make him into a man of God. And now he's at this place where Paul says, you know what, Philemon? He's coming back to you. He doesn't come back to you the same way. He doesn't come back as a slave, you see. Before he was a slave to you. But now he comes back as what? A brother. A beloved brother. He's coming back with the flesh and with the spirit. Flesh is now a servant and the spirit of God is in him. He's now a brother with you. Even though you had offense toward him before. You see what fellowship, real fellowship can do? And then we don't, he doesn't ask him, he doesn't tell him what he's going to do. I am stopping right here until I have your consent. Let's go on. What I get from that is this, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. A brother who has broke bread or break bread together in fellowship. You gain what? The servant and the heart of God in the servant. I think that's what discipleship's about. How about you? Philemon 1, 17 through 19. So if you consider me a brother, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he has, if he has what? If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He's making it very clear. This is a promissory note. This is a contract. I write this with my very hand. I will repay it. And, big quotes, I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Now, I don't know about you. How many times today are you going to be able to say that without offense going on? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ together. You are able to enlighten someone in the gospel. That person becomes a believer. Now a useful person in the Lord. I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Do you remember, Philemon, when you were with me and you were of the world and you were lost and far away? Do you remember that? Let me remind you in just a short wording that you were dead in sin. And then I show up, remember that, Philemon, I showed up as Paul, we started to communicate. Remember how you rejected me at the beginning. And remember as I shared the gospel, your heart was opened, and you are now a man of God. Now remember those things when I ask you for this favor. If we are to 
share bread together, one another, you and me, and we enlighten one another in the Lord, do we not have a debt to one another? Yes or no? What is the story teaching you? Isn't there now, and through friendship, isn't there a new level of fellowship that puts you to a place where now, since we are breaking bread, I will command offenses to leave in Jesus' name. I will not hold an offense towards someone. I will not hold any unforgiveness. If someone comes to me and says, you know, I come from this church and I, I got to tell you something about this pastor. Shut up! And I said it, honey. I said, shut up right here in church. I did. I know. I even shouted. Some of you might have heard it across the street. I am sick and tired of hearing it. Oh, you can do it better. I'm a Monday morning quarterback. I'd have won that game. Sure. You got an offense going on. Well, I think they should be doing this. You know, I see this stuff on TV. You know, I, 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 yai, yai, yai. If you break bread and Jesus is glorified, hush your mouth. What you are doing is working for the enemy. And I am sick of it. The church today is so good at it, isn't it? All you have to do is walk around. Well, I heard, yeah, your church did, yeah. Oh, yeah, let me, I got a story for you. <laughs> I should, let's sit down and have some coffee because I got a lot to get off my chest. You are in sin. And get it right. You have an offense and it's causing division in the church. So clam up. Right? I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Man, I'm telling you, this story rocked me when I read it. Words started popping out on the page, and I had to repent myself for some of the things I have said about other places and other men of God. And I have to get on my face before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, for I have sinned. I have spoken ill will about those, and oh, yeah, I could do it better. Oh, I'm sure if Jesus had an army, he'd slap me. Come on, people, really. Are you that good? Are you that conceited that you think you can do it better? Paul just lets it out, doesn't he? Here's a man that was no use to you. Do you remember him? I'm sure when he got Philemon, I'm sure Philemon did remember him. As a matter of fact, he probably, whoa, I'm glad he's gone. Man lost and now saved. And Paul says, I want him to come back and I want you to welcome him like you welcome me. One who has taught you the things of God. And if you've taught somebody, they should respect you. Are we perfect? Anybody here perfect? I'll sit down, you can get on the stage. I like to listen to what you have to say. There's nobody perfect here. Wouldn't we last week, weren't we this in the Bible? It says, we all offend. Every single one of us offend all the time. We're offensive. I've got to ask, well, I'll just get off the tangent list a little bit here. Let me just ask a question. Lord, why at times do we smell? You can offend somebody, but not, not even taking a bath that day. You're going to want to offend, so you can offend. You can do all kinds. We do things that are offensive. We're people. 
I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, why, why, why'd you make us like this? Because I'm teaching you how not to hold offense. <laughs> Isn't that hard? Good gravy. Paul, thank you for handling this situation. You want fellowship? Read this book. Because that's what church should be like. Write this on his own hand. Man, he wrote it down. Let's go on. I won't mention that Yomo Yerveso, that just popped out on the page. You see, offense should not exist against those you grow in the Lord with or fellowship with. Offense has no place in effective fellowship. Man. I so enjoy getting together with other believers, and I could sit and I, hey, who, who loves that? You talk about stories, one person about what Jesus is doing here, you're like, yes! And you get another story of hearing what Jesus is doing, you're like, he is so good. And yeah, you get the high five, he's good all the time, and he is, isn't he? And a conversation's healthy and strong and encouraging, just like the Bible says, do not forsake meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but all the more gather together as a day of Lord approaches in that you'll see a word called encouragement and when you open your mouth to bring someone else down there is no encouraging words in that at all you walk on top of someone else thinking i am better you walk up here that's not encouraging at all you're working for the enemy so my fellowship is this you fellowship you want good effective fellowship you want good things established in you first of all you got to learn how to handle offense You've got to learn how to step on that and be able to encourage people with your mouth. Remember how bad the mouth can get at times? We talked about if you can, if you can control this thing in your mouth, this right here, this tongue, it says, man, you can put the whole nature of your body together under that control. Isn't that right? Isn't that wonderful? Just controlling this. And that's where we find most of our offense is what we say. Offense has no place in effective fellowship, has none. If you want fellowship that's effective and built and doing the right thing and all those good things are established in you, get rid of the things that you say against others. Man, we talk too much, don't we? I make me feel better talk about someone else. Does that make me feel better? Are you kidding me? Philip. 121 and 2, having confidence in your obedience. This is Paul. See, he loves Philemon. He loves him. He says, I have confidence in you. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. See, that's the kind of fellow, that's the kind of things I want. I want to be able to trust you. You want to trust me? We got to build that together. Isn't that the kind of fellowship you want? But meanwhile, also prepare. This is where it comes down here. Whew, I love this kind of fellowship. Meanwhile, also, it says, prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. How many people want their prayers answered? Let me see your hands right here. Those who says, man, I want answered prayer. I pray and I want those things to be answered. I want Jesus to be able to do those things. I desire that those things happen. See, Paul was confident he knows the obedience of this. He knows the congregation. He knows they have the love for one another. It says at the beginning of your chapter, watch what he sees in that church. Look at chapter and look at the first couple verses, how Jesus looks at that and goes, that's the kind of church. That love is amazing. 
I know that your fellowship is good. And that's why when I send Anisimus back to you, I know you're going to welcome him. Matter of fact, you'll do more than what I'm telling you to do. I didn't really have to, I didn't really have to tell you about your soul really belonging through that time we spent together. And I shared the gospel to you. Remember that. I didn't really have to say that because I trust you that you'll do more than what I even said. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. Are you preparing a guest room in your heart? That really jumped out on the page for me. How about you? It says, you've been praying. How about and just, if you just want to stay praying, that's one thing, Mike. But if you want to really step out in true fellowship, why don't you pray and then act on that prayer and start to put a room together? Wouldn't that be faith? Anybody ever seen Facing the Giants, the movie? You remember when the man comes down the hallway and he goes into the office of the coach and he starts to lay out a plan. He says, you know what? God told me to tell you this. Remember the story? He told me that there was two farmers praying for rain. See, both farmers wanted rain to come, but one farmer decided he was going to do one more step. He's going to start preparing his fields for the rain. And he asked the coach, what, what do you think? Is, who, who had more faith in their prayers? And of course, the coach said, well, of course the one that says he prepared his fields. He said, then likewise do the same. Are you preparing for rain? Are you preparing your own heart? Are you preparing a guest room on your prayers? You see, true fellowship in this, when I'm learning true fellowship together, you can't do it on your own. You're going to find your faith that's not strong enough. It's together when we agree, when we break bread together, that you'll encourage me. You'll open my mind to something new that I didn't see before. You, you stir up my faith together because then I'll be able to pray together and believe what I've asked for will be given to me. See, Jesus never said do Jesus on, on your own. He wants it together in fellowship. He wants it strong that we give faith to one another. When you're weak, you have a brother beside you lifting you up. You ever felt that before? That's what we need. That's true fellowship. That's good things being established in us. We need each other. And so when you pray for something, then you prepare for it. Doesn't the Bible say something about praying for something, but then find yourself in doubt? He says, why do you think you get anything from the Lord when you doubt of what you prayed for? So why don't we do this today? Men, I know we're here, we're gathered on a, on a Father's Day. You know who first establishes this fellowship? It's the men. Men lead charge. It's not that the ladies have an important part. They absolutely do. It's imperative that every person is in fellowship. But it's not going to happen in the body of Christ until men says, okay, let's fellowship together. But I'm not talking about just hanging out, right? I'm not talking about just hanging out and talking about the game on sports, right? We can do that, guys, right? We can talk about games. We can talk about these kinds of things. Talk about our jobs. It's not exciting. Talk about our jobs, what we do. Before you know it, time's over. It's never really been effective fellowship. There's nobody slicing bread. There's nobody breaking bread together. So I, I, I'm asking God, would you show us as a church to become the church? We can easily say that, but granted, Lord, it's fellowshipping together with effective fellowship. Let's make it real. The real deal. A real experience. And Lord, we'll learn how to prepare rooms, right? 
Who wants to prepare a room today? You've been praying for something and you haven't yet prepared a room and you've been on your own. You don't really know. God, do you hear me? Are you even up there? And God says, yeah, I hear you, but you're not preparing. And so you're not getting what God has wanted for you because what it's motive he looks at. Are you sitting back just asking? I don't know about you. I need men around me that says, okay, Jim, I'm, I'm believing what you're asking for. And then you have this fellowship going on. I need you and you need me. Let's do this thing together. Enough on your own. Enough on your own. Let's do this thing together. So those 